Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. The second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It demands perfect prayer. But who does that? What human being never misuses the holy name of the triune God, but instead ceaselessly prays, praises, and gives thanks to God in every time of need or blessing? Whose prayers are always sincere? Only one. That's Jesus. But why should Jesus have to pray? After all, He is God. We confess in the second article of the Creed that He is also true man. In the mystery of the Trinity, the Son and the Father are equal. But in the economy of salvation, the Son does what man should but cannot. He submits and He commits Himself to His Father's will. So, for whom does Jesus pray? He prays for Himself, His church, His disciples, and you. Looking back at the priest that prayed and interceded for those in the Old Testament, it must have been quite a sight. Their garments or vestments were spectacular. I wonder if the Israelites in the wilderness protested at the elaborate details and the exorbitant expense of making elaborate vestments for Aaron. Did they discuss scuttling the plans until the voters could approve of the design and the expense? Or put it out for bids to see if someone had a source of pure gold or blue dye that might come in under budget so the rest could be put into an LCEF CD? Did they grumble? I don't know why one priest needs to be dressed in something way more elaborate and costly than anything we buy or make for ourselves. Does Aaron think he's better than we are? Or, when my grandkids became priests in Egypt, they had to save up all their own money to purchase vestments. No congregation was buying those for them. I don't see why we have to use all this gold. Ten. Tin would look almost as nice for a tenth of the price. <laughs> Nevertheless, when God commanded what sort of frock Aaron was to be dressed in as he was consecrated as the high priest, his orders were strangely particular. First, the ephod, made of gold, with two gold shoulder pieces, each with an engraved onyx stone with six names of the sons of Israel on it, joined together with blue and scarlet yarns of fine linen, went over the shoulders, completely down, front and back, open on the sides. Second, the breast piece, matching the ephod of gold with blue and scarlet yarns and fine linens with 12 different stones, most of which we just guess at what translating setting gold settings. The two gold rings to attach to the ephod. Then underneath it, the robe, all blue, with blue and purple, and scarlet pomegranates on the hem, interspersed with golden bells. There was the engraved gold plate, attached with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban, and finally a cloak, the turban, the sash of fine needlework. All these Aaron is to wear, so that when he presides as high priest, he does not die. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be Israelite high priests. 
It's hard to parse out the spiritual meaning of such apparel. Clothing is unavoidably physical. And yet, despite the beauty of those vestments, no matter how real the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, as well as the Levites, they were merely shadows of something more real, of a more permanent priesthood, of a high priest whose service endures eternally. Aaron's vestments, like a pastor's vestments, are a sign of the beauty of the office he occupies, an office that does not truly belong to him, the one who merely stands in between God and his people. The vestments signify neither Aaron nor the pastor, but Christ. The office is beautiful because of Christ, no matter the grotesqueness and coarseness of the men in the office. Aaron is obviously no longer the one to intercede between God and men, and nor am I. But behold, the man, the servant, the one who washed his disciples' feet and washes us with his blood. Jesus, the one to intercede, one who is a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, the priestly king of righteousness. Behold the man who, though also God, intercedes for men before God. Behold God who has become man and who, as man, intercedes and prays for us as men. But who really wants an intercessor, a priest, or a go-between? A go-between implies you are insufficient for the task of getting yourself to God. An intercessor implies that you cannot climb the ladder to heaven to plead your own case. That Jesus takes on human flesh to be an eternal priest between men and God implies that you and I, on our own, are not good enough. We need someone else to take up our case. Well, we behold the man and place our faith in him. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we are not capable of being our own priests before God. Who seeks for God as he ought? Whose thoughts are undistracted in prayer? Certainly not mine, I will say. Whose hatred for, okay, let's call it annoyance with, his brother does not interfere with the orientation of his or her prayer? Who loves God perfectly enough to be able to approach him in prayer? Who keeps the Sabbath perfectly, hears the word of God gladly and regularly? Who uses the name of God correctly, never letting slip and, oh my God, when things don't go according to plan, and call, but call upon it regularly as the catechism prescribes in prayer? Who? Well, no one. Well, at least not you or I. We make a sorry excuse as our own priests, and we surely die eternally if we attempt such foolishness. So, behold the man. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Sinful mankind cannot approach a holy God. We need someone to take our place, to plead our case. So, behold the man. Jesus has taken your flesh. He will take up your cause before his heavenly Father. And behold the man in Jesus. God has a voice that he can raise before the Father. He has hands he can fold in prayer. He has a head he can bow correctly and reverently. Behold the man 
who prays perfectly. Behold the high priest whose office, whose role is to pray for you. Behold the man who prays for you without ceasing and whose mind does not wander. Jesus has hands to raise in prayer. He has eyes so that he can lift them to his Father. He has vocal cords that can create sounds. And he has lips that can shape those sounds into words. Words that become prayers. Perfect prayers his Father will hear. He is a man so that he can intercede for men. And for what does he pray? For his disciples, for his church, and for you. Because sinners cannot approach a holy God, Jesus intercedes. Because rebellious man's petitions will fall on deaf ears, the only obedient Son of God has taken flesh in order to pray for you to give voice to your prayers. Since you cannot keep yourself from sin, from idolatry, from rebellion, Jesus prays that the Father would keep you, that he would keep you in his name, which was put upon you in the waters of holy baptism, that he would keep you from the evil one, which we ask in the last petition of the Lord's prayer, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, as perfect God and man in one person, prays for you. Behold the man who prays for you constantly before his heavenly Father. In John 17, we find the high priestly prayer that follows closely our reading this evening from the Passion narrative. In it, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and prays for all those who have been given to him, that is, those that are in the church. He prays for their safekeeping in faith that is in him and what the Father has sent him to do. He gives thanks for all that has been given to him. That, again, is his church. In part, it reads, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He also prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see, where I am to see the, my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, Jesus, who prays for you without end, you are no longer rebels against your heavenly Father. You are no longer sinful aliens. You are no longer unable to bend the Father's ear with your petitions. You are in Jesus. Jesus prays perfectly. Your prayers are not perfect because you pray regularly or correctly, but because you are in Jesus. Your pr because you are in Jesus, your prayers are perfect. Because Jesus lift up, lifts up his hands perfectly in prayer, so do you. Because Jesus lifts his eyes perfectly in prayer, so do you. Because Jesus' voice is perfectly attuned for prayer, so is yours. 
because Jesus is the man who intercedes for the rest of mankind as man, you have hope and eternal life. You have a Lord who prays for you. You have a man who redeems men. You have the God who became man for you. You have a Savior. You have the man on the cross. Behold the man, the priest, who bids you to pray and who, and who prays for you without ceasing. Thanks be to the Lord. Amen.